Welcome to The Future is Female Powerlifting, a show where women of all strengths can explore the world of female powerlifting. I am your host, Heidi Donnell, a 60-kilo powerlifting gym owner, and each episode we bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you unlock your true inner strength potential. Thanks for tuning in. Aloha, my beautiful friends. And if you are tuning in with me today, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, a happy holidays. And I want to thank you so much for listening to me today. If this is, if you're actually tuning in on Christmas Day, it is 2019, 20, December 25th. And it is a wonderful, magical day. I love Christmas. I know some people are very bahumbug about it, but um, I don't know, man. Me and my family, we make uh, cinnamon rolls the night before. It's like our tradition. We watch um, certain movies the night before, the day of. It's a Christmas story. You know, you know, I think we all have certain traditions. I actually just heard about a new one called the Saran Wrap Game. If you've heard of it, you guys let me know, Kristen and Mary Lee, who come to my gym. Um, they both were talking about how you you wrap something up in saran wrap, and then you get uh, they have the person has to unwrap it with like mittens, like oven mittens. I don't know. It sounds super awesome. There's really only a few of us in our family, so we don't have a big, huge party where I think that would be much more fun. But otherwise, we're going to be stuffing our face with some homemade cinnamon rolls. But I want to thank you for tuning in today for our next Q&A, which we had with the awesome Christina Myers. She has been with me for the last couple of Q&As, and she is just a wealth of knowledge. I feel so blessed that she is um, willing to take this time, you know, right before she was leaving to go visit her family for the holidays. So um, it's super awesome. We got to answer a bunch of questions that were from our golden mic on the Q&A. So if you are tuning in on our Instagram or our Facebook, every so often I drop a golden mic with our logo on it. So the, you know, our logo is all mic'd out, all gold. And when I drop that, you can put your questions there. And we had so many stinking questions this time. And I love, I love seeing that because that means that you all are looking to us for some more questions and, you know, for some answers. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can't answer them all. Um, but we try to do our best to answer the ones that we think will be very helpful. So we took a bunch this time to answer. And in next Q&A, we're going to answer the rest of them. So today, I'll let you know a little bit about what we answered. So we got questions like your best tips on how to make an online coach athlete relationship work in regards to coaching and training beginners or any special considerations based on sex. Uh, who are some inspirational people we like to follow? Programming for somebody who likes to do a bunch, bunch of things besides powerlifting. Maybe they're a crossfitter or maybe they're a bodybuilder and a powerlifter. How would you coach for that? What's what is our approach towards training people um, that has a lot of stressors in their life? And I think that we could all understand that. How do we uh, as coaches still maybe are able to help our athletes, even though they got a lot of shit going on in their life? What would we consider an ideal timeline for meat prep? And there's a lot of things to consider for that. But what, what generally, what would we say? And also to finish it off, let's talk about burnout. How do we recover from feeling burnt out in powerlifting? 
Do we take a long break? Do we find something else to do? What will we suggest? And of course, this episode is brought to you by my gym, Core Strength and Performance in Huntsville, Alabama, where we live through strength. And if you are looking for a coach who is going to help guide you through maybe your first, second, third powerlifting meet, um, somebody who is going to be an extra set of eyes, somebody who's going to help you in those times when you're like, what am I doing wrong with this? And you don't know where to go. Holla at your girl. I'm taking some online uh, clients right now. And if you have any questions on that, you can just hit me up a direct message or send me a email at coach at core256.com and we can talk a little bit about your goals. Now let's get into it with Christina. All right. So let's start off with Miss the, of course, I love this, Miss Jen Milliken. Um, and Jen's question was best tips on how to make an online coach athlete relationship work. And I think this is great because we both have online clients um, and we probably both approach it differently and maybe some of the same things that we like. So why don't you start off and let me know. Let's hear what you like to do to make it work. Um, I would say the biggest thing is communication, but it has to be from both sides. Like it's obviously the coach's job to communicate what the plan is um, and all of that. But it's very hard for them to know what you're going through, how you're feeling, how you feel in the gym, if you don't communicate that back. So I have a check-in form um, that gets me the bare minimum. If you fill out all of the multiple choice options on it, because it has a lot, and then it has some like free response sections. If you didn't do any of the free response, I would get the bare minimum. So like I could still program you for the next week. But if you actually give me more details, then I can do a better job of deciding what you really need, um, that kind of stuff. I have people who, even with that, with the multiple choice questions, like there's a part that asks, how much are you enjoying your training right now? And some people will always just click the top option, which is like, that you're really enjoying it. And then I'll find out six months later that they like hate it and they're yeah. bored. And I'm like, yeah. but, but you didn't communicate that to me because I look at that and I say, if I even get somebody that just says enjoying, I'm going to be like, Hey, what can I do to like help you? Is there anything I can do? Are you just having a rough time and everything's stressful right now? And it's right. nothing to do with your training. Right. Or is it something that I need to change? And so there's a lot of, um, as a responsibility on the coach to communicate to the athlete, but the athlete has to turn around and communicate with the coach and make sure that they really are giving them the whole picture for them to be able to do their best job. Yeah. So. I, I like that check-in form because that, forces them to yes. communicate with you. And I, I was just having this conversation with somebody on the same thing. Whereas when I did online coaching, oh my gosh, when I started doing, it was more fitness and bodybuilding. So that was like almost 10 years ago, I used to train people in Hawaii. And when I moved away and I didn't have anything like that, you know, I was using trainerize. So I was using an app back then. Um, and it did have certain, you know, some questions on there, but that was like, I didn't even think about those kind of things. Like, yeah, they might be fronting to you <laughs> saying that they're fine. And and I didn't figure that out till I became a client for an online coach. And so when I was training with Dexter Jackson and his wife, I didn't even like, I didn't communicate those things to them till it got to a point where I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I I'm like going through a rough spot. This dieting sucks. Da, da, da. But I would have just like, Oh, I'm fine. It's great. Yeah. Da, da, da. So just like you, I have uh monthly calls. So, I, they have to, and I told them this is part of the criteria because now I've had so many times where people, and they don't want to inconvenience me as a coach or let me down or, you know, they feel bad. So I, I force them. I say, Hey, 
when we finish this conversation, you're going to get an email and I have it automated. So they get a, uh, a link and they have to schedule their next call with me. And so I like as a coach, I use Acuity. Um, I have Calendly and Acuity, but I use Acuity for this one. And it, you know, all they have, it says online monthly call and they can automatically schedule that. And it has to be four weeks from now. And we have to touch base um, at least every four weeks verbally over the phone, because when I hear their voice, that makes a big difference for me. I can tell in their tone of voice if they're feeling good or if things are weird. And sometimes they just don't ask questions online that they would ask in person. But it's like once they have me on the phone, they're like, hey, you know, I did want to know about this. And I was curious about this. And, and that helps me. So normally for me to keep that relationship, I I do. I mean, I don't have that many online clients, so I do have them text me uh, if they want to or they go through the app. So I'll have them, you know, we do a lot of conversations through the app. Uh, but sometimes I'm like, hey, if it's really just text me, I'm not, you know, it might take me an hour or two to get back to you if I'm you know, teaching a class or whatever, but I will get back to you, you know, within, I think it's crazy if people don't get back in 24 hours, but usually within 24 hours, they'll get an answer on text. But that helps me to keep a good relationship is having more interaction with them, asking more questions as a coach. So I'm pulling that out of them. And I do feel that like this generation is a little different from my generation. So um, I have people that I'm coaching that are 20, 19. Um, some of them feel okay with having a phone conversation. Some of them do not, <laughs> you know, and, and that's okay. So, it's, so it is more of that conversation through text, maybe Instagram. Um, but I have to schedule that. So like every Friday I review um, all my, my clients. If I don't review them before, I review them every Friday and then I have to make a comment. So if, I, if they did their workout and maybe you're not using an app and you're using a spreadsheet. Somehow there needs to be a communication back to them. And to me, that's what helps to make it grow better, grow stronger, or even looking out for them, maybe praising them online and Instagram, um, you know, showcasing your a spotlight on your page, um, maybe a page just for your clients. If you have a lot, that would be awesome. And, you know, you can really uh, show that appreciation for them. That's some, that's some of the things I do. I was going to say, so I used to, I do weekly check-ins for almost everybody. There's one or two like coaching options that are a little less expensive that I have that you can only check in monthly. Um, but I like never encourage people towards those unless they like truly cannot afford to go the whole way because I only talk to them once a month and my one-on-one -on -one clients, which is what most of my people are, we have the weekly check-in. I'm going to check in on you during the week. Like we're going to like actually talk and like build a relationship outside of just that one weekly check-in. And you mentioned social media and like, sometimes that is the easiest way to get a hold of people. Yeah. Um, depending on how well you know them. Like I have actually, I've got clients that I've had for like years and I don't think I have their phone number, but it's never mattered because we can, we communicate so well. Um, through other channels. Right. But I said the caveat to that social media thing is there are some coaches who will, they'll post you, they'll use you as their highlight because you're doing something good and they don't actually communicate with you right. outside of that. And I've seen that. And so yes. said, it's good. It's good if they're on there and they're celebrating you and everything, but <laughs> also do your research and make sure, especially if you're looking at hiring a coach that you talk to those people and say like, you know, like what's your interaction like with them in real life? Like, is it really, yeah. are they really attentive or are they just like, you make me look good. So I'm going to post you because that's a problem. Um, especially in the powerlifting social media world right now too. Right. Right. Because there's a lot of highlight reels you can put on there, right. You know, mm -hmm. like, Oh, they did great. And that's, that can be about it. That's so funny. Like for me as, um, as an athlete, I don't necessarily need as many check-ins. And I think it's just because I've been 
doing it so long. So every once in a while, I send something to Julia and Christian um, and they give me feedback. But I, I guess because they're friends, you know, we've already got that relationship now where it's kind of like, hey, I, I can't do this many days this week. I've been, you know, things have been crazy. They'll reorganize it, whatever. But I, I guess maybe it also depends on the level of the athlete. I think if they're more beginner, they're going to need a little bit more uh, help mm -hmm. in, in building that relationship. Uh, but yeah, I think that scheduling actual interactions where they have to interact with you. Um, and, and it was for me, I was like, well, why should I have to make them out? They'll, they'll do it if they want to. But that, <laughs> no, that, that, that definitely changes how long they're going to stick with you. You know, and you don't want to go about finding a new client. It's more, it's more money to find a new client, just like any other business, um, than it is to retain one. So not only do you want to help that person, but it is in your benefit as a business to keep that person with you. Um, because then you have to start all over again and start with somebody new. But if you can help these people retain them and what, what helps them is knowing that they're improving or maybe understanding the program more, maybe they don't understand parts of it and they're just afraid to ask. So I think these times where you have to interact with them is going to be important for building that relationship. Definitely. And there's kind of some boundaries that I think they're tricky, but you have to walk a very fine line with them, um, to really be successful coaching people. And I think one of them is like between being a professional and being a friend to that person, like mm -hmm. you want to be their friend, but you also can't be so much their best friend that they're, they're going to feel bad telling you if they don't like something like right. they should be able to feel like they can communicate openly. But if you are too aloof and too, like I am the coach and you are the athlete and that's it, then they're not going to feel comfortable talking to you either. So it's kind of like, there's a very, um, happy middle spot that you have to kind of stay in and you want them to like you and all that because they're going to feel more comfortable but you also kind of have to keep that like just slight bit of authority like okay but i'm in charge like yeah i want us to communicate i want it to be collaborative but at the end of the day i'm the one making the decisions and so i want to take your feedback into account but you got to listen when i say no this is what we're doing yeah totally yeah you are the you're the coach <laughs> you know so in the end what you say um, is probably going to be what's best for them. So that's very, that's a very good point. Being aloof, gosh, is not doing that at all. Gosh, I know. Yes. And you see that so often and it's like, oh, and it's, uh, anyways, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving on to Mr. Matthew, M.W. Stinson, um, in regards to coaching and training beginners, are there any special considerations based on sex for how to approach programming? And, um, I like this one because he is a man and he's asking that, you know, I think that that's wonderful that you ask these sort of, uh, these questions you want to start off. Sure. Um, so there's a lot, <laughs> there's always a lot. Um, I would say, so I'll just start with the fact that they're beginners. So beginners are going to need more basics for sure. I mean, you always, you always want to start with the basics, but then as people get more advanced, you might bring in more variations and that kind of stuff. But for beginners, it's going to be truly about fixing technique and learning correct technique, um, over anything else. And a beginner is going to, the first adaptations you're going to see with them are neural. So they are more like learning how to coordinate their muscles to work together. Um, and so anything they learn as a beginner, I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, if you can get it right the first time, it's so much easier for them to build on that than if you like end up with bad habits and you have to go back and try and fix them later. It's hard to unlearn something and relearn it. It's much easier to just learn it correctly the first time. Um, 
So that's one thing is just really, really focus on technique above all else. And two, one of the nice things about coaching a beginner is almost anything is going to work. Yes. Um, they haven't done anything yet. So yeah. that's good because almost anything will work for them, but it's bad that if you set them up with something just crazy at the beginning, when they get past that first newbie um, phase, they're going to get stuck. So I would say minimal is better there. They need enough of a stimulus that they'll progress and all of that. But if you do too much too fast, you're going to dig them a hole later. And it may not be you that has to get them out of it. It might be somebody else, but they're going to get stuck somewhere because they did too much volume too fast, um, too whatever. So I'd say focus on technique first, focus on the basics on and it, depending on how much of a beginner they are, like, are they just new to powerlifting? Have they never lifted before at all? Right. Training age. Um, you might be truly teaching them gym etiquette and so many other things in that too. Yeah. Um, I think are kind of, they fall under the coach's responsibility because you don't want your athlete representing you in the gym and like, they're really rude and they like take all this stuff they don't need. And, you know, so you, you want them to understand what good, um, let's say good manners is in the yeah. gym. <laughs> I'd, say gym I'd say gym etiquette is definitely, that's definitely something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a whole, like, instead of gym rules in my, in my gym, it says gym etiquette. It's like, you know, don't be gross. Wipe your sweat. <laughs> you know, like basic yes. stuff. Sometimes people just forget that. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, like, that's right. I did sit my sweaty butt on this. I should wipe that up too. <laughs> it's not actual physical sweat that's dripping down. You just sit wherever you sat, just clean it up. Cause it does accumulate those, those simple things that beginners might not know. And you have a lot of opportunity to kind of shape their entire mindset and attitude towards themselves, towards the sport, towards other lifters at that phase too. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important to kind of hone in on. And then if they are female, so females can generally, I'll say generally, they almost always can handle more volume um, than males can. And they have to have it. They recover more quickly. So if you don't give them enough, and I'm not saying the very first week you should kill them, but you don't give them enough, they aren't actually going to progress as quickly as they could because they aren't getting enough of a stimulus because they're actually way too recovered. Um, and if you program them the exact same way you might program a male, you know, you may be understimulating them. So they can handle more volume. They recover more quickly. And depending on the lift, especially, especially on bench, they can work, um, with kind of different capacities of their, their maximum. And so that is a little bit tricky. Like a guy may be able to do whatever. And a girl's like, she's going to have to stay pretty close to one RM, but that is so like nitpicky, like too close. And she's going to get crushed, not close enough. And she's not going to get anything out of it. So it's really, I mean, you just, it's almost like you just have to practice with that for a while. You have to coach a lot of females to really get a hang of what they can and can't do. Yeah, I agree. I think those are great points. And I'm trying to think when I have a beginner who is a female, most of the time, I, I know that for the most part, let's say their training age is young, they're going to be uh, unsure, uh, maybe mm -hmm. a little unconfident about things. So they'll approach things uh, with more care and and a little scared and unsure of the bar. And so you might have to uh, really work with them on confidence and mm -hmm. how they how they feel um, in comparison to other people, like reassuring them that that's not something we look at. If you're in a regular gym, 
uh, that's not maybe a strength gym, but it has a lot of like really buff people around. And, and you know, that those are all things that will go through their mind at some point. For the most part, you're going to have people who are going to do a lot of comparison, a lot of women who will. Um, so I think that that sort of conversation and understanding that this is their journey and reinforcing that if you see that that's what's going on. Um, or if they feel like I have this a lot, I have people who feel like I don't like how I look when I put the belt on, or I don't like my belly sticking out when I bench, you know, so those are all mental things that, that need to be worked on and encouraged and, and built, um, that I think sometimes we don't think about, but are very, you know, very important for them feeling better about lifting and about training. Um, I would also say period. You know, it's what it's for a guy. That's a conversation that you probably never thought you'd have. (laughs) But um, knowing that sometimes women have very, uh, you know, hard cycles and and sometimes I I mean, I feel like shit sometimes. And before I used to power through. But lately, and I don't know if this is because I'm older, like I almost feel like I have taken uh, like shots. I like I am so out of it and so exhausted that there's like no way that I would win in the gym. It just doesn't even, it's not even worth it to me. I will go the next day, you know? So for me, knowing that, um, some days it's, I'll, I'll suck it up and I'll go in, but some days it's not like that for me. And then knowing that, um, that your athlete might feel that way and it, it, you know, that there are times when she might be able to suck it up and she might not be able to. I I know that you suck it up. We've talked about this before. (laughs) That's what I was going to say is um, Mm -hmm. there should be, and it's hard with beginners. So say on the beginner topic, you've got to build in some auto-regulation into the program. And with a beginner, they need it, but they they won't know how to use it yet. So that's something like you can kind of help work out with them because it's going to be different for every person. You have someone who has really tough periods, like that might affect their training. It mm, doesn't really affect mine that much right? most of the time, but there might be one really terrible one where it does. Right. And so I would know what to do with that situation, but someone else might not. And so you've got to be able to work through with them. And, and if you're sick, if you had a really ter- terrible work day, whatever, and we can go on a whole like yeah. one hour episode on this one probably, <laughs> but um, I was going to say, if you are female and you are new, a lot of the times you're not going to feel as comfortable in the gym as a guy is. So something for coaches to consider, um, guy uh, gyms are meant for guys. Like, I don't want to get into a whole political thing, but that's, that's who feels comfortable there. That's who you're going to see more of there. They kind of feel more entitled in that space, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've met some really rude guys in gyms, but even if you don't meet anybody who's just being rude to you, you're going to feel outnumbered. You're going to feel like maybe you, don't deserve to go get whatever piece of equipment you want because someone else is using it. Um, You're likely to have guys come to you and say, well, how many more do you have? Because you're the only girl in the squat rack. Like they're going to pick you, try and pick you off first because they want it. So just some things to keep in mind is that the female experience in the gym, especially in a serious gym is probably different than like your experience would be as a male. So it's so true. It is so true. That's a great point. So I think that that would be, uh, some of the best things to think about when you are training a female and, you know, there's a little bit more empathy that I think has to go on with women, um, than men, men, you can bust balls. You know, when I see my husband with the guys, he is busting balls left and right. You know, it's like, you know, Lamar, one of our, our newer members, uh, he was just at our Christmas party. He was telling him, Hey, his new name is hand panties because he wore his wife's gloves to the gym. And he said, 
what are those on your hand? He's like, they're just gloves. And that was it. You know, so he could bust his walls the whole time. You, he might not be able to do that to Lamar's wife. You know what I mean? So it's like, you got to know that your rapport with a woman might have to be a little different, uh, you know, just because the men in nature have more of a joking sort of busting balls kind of thing than, than women do. So, um, you're the way you go about training them might be a little different, um, in, in that respect too. All right, moving on to, I like this one because I, um, I don't have like typical ones. There are typical inspirational women that I follow on Instagram, um, and I, I'm sure there, uh, you know, you have different ones too. And I like the ones that you always share. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of hear who yours <laughs> are. Um, and I hate to say this, but a lot of the people that I really like to follow are people that I've interviewed. <laughs> so, and that's kind of why I've, I've interviewed them because I've been inspired by them at some point in my fitness journey. I would say that, um, so Hopper Susan, you know, people like Susan Salazar, who, you know, is pretty much ripped her like knee in half and like crazy, um, you know, she, to me, she's inspirational. I think more because I know her and she has the most kindest heart I've ever seen of somebody and always cares about people and tries to just show, you know, you, it's, it's just one foot in front of the other and, and things like that. And then people like Hopper and like Amanda to mm-hmm. me is not everybody's cup of tea. And she knows that. And she's, she will be very headstrong and what she believes in. Um, but super inspirational and just owning who she is. And so I like to see her stories and see what she talks about. Um, but there are people like follow the Lita who I've been following for maybe 10 years or so. And Lita is from uh, New Zealand originally, but she's Samoan and black. And I've, I've, um, I've just always loved how she embraces, you know, being a, a bigger Polynesian woman um, and who's black. So you're already, she has this thick figure um, and, and being a kind soul at the same time and trying to embrace, you know, uh, women at every level at every, um, part of their journey. And so those are some of the people I really love. What about you? So, you know, I have to say Leanna, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and recently, so she was one of my original inspirations, but Leanna she Carr. always, I mean, yeah. yes, Leanna Carr, so like, didn't say her last name, yeah. but she, <laughs> she's, she's like, she's like Madonna, with, just the first name. Yeah. <laughs> she's been dealing with some injuries and she's like, it's been very up and down for her, but she's always stuck with it. Whether she backed off and focused on something else, she always had it somewhere in her plan to get back. And I feel like she's finally there. I don't want to like jinx her, but she is like, she's moving big weights again. And I'm like really excited to see her make her official comeback because it took years, but she did it. Yeah. No. So she's one for sure. And then Jen, Jen Milliken. Yes. We answered her first question. I love her. Um, I love Jen because she's a mom and she's like, she gets shit done in her gym and she just keeps powering forward. I I heard an interview with her and, um, uh, oh my gosh, why am I spazzing out on her name? Juggernaut strength. Um, Marissa Inda. Yes. So her and Marissa, and I was just cracking up. I was like, I love her personality. I've never really, Mm -hmm. you know, met her. So when I hear people's personalities like that, I'm like, oh, it makes them even better. I can tell you she is very genuine and very like down to earth. And if you were to meet her at a big event, she's, I mean, she's, will take the time to talk to you and everything it. else, which is really, and so is Jim Thompson. I'm getting there. Yeah. Same way. Um, yeah. Absolutely a sweetheart and will always take the time to stop and talk to somebody. And I think that's really cool because she is someone who really made a name for herself in women's powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's kind of the representative of all of these big things, but she's never 
become one of those people who thinks they're better than anybody else or like she doesn't have time for the little people. She's always very um, – you will see her spotting and loading and meets and stuff. Like she, yeah. she's just one of us, and that, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a teammate that I'm really close with and she's not somebody who's like really big on social media, but she is, I guess, inspirational to me. She is a single mom and she's, she's just always been, um, not afraid to chase her dreams and still be a good mom to her son and do all of those things. And so I think that's really cool. Her name is Jen Avril. So there's three Jens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love them all. Yeah. I love that. And sometimes those are the ones that are not, uh, you don't have to have 30,000 followers mm-hmm. or something. And, you know, to be honest, I love your page. And I think that you oh, do really, yeah. yes, I think you do really well by speaking your truth about your struggles with being leaner and, and you know, at being a leaner powerlifter um, and how that heart, you know, I mean, you lift a lot of fucking weight. So I think it's awesome <laughs> when people who are tall and on the lean side see you. And you're moving big weight. You know, it, it. I think that's important that we see that too, because, you know, like you said before in our other episodes, it's like you think of powerlifting, you think compact, short, you know, dense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your body shape might not always come to mind for that, but it's like, no, it does. You know, you are a, a very competitive lifter. Um, and I like that you document that on your page. You talk about your struggles. You talk about your positives. You give a lot of information. So if you guys don't follow her story, Christina has fabulous stuff on her story because she's super smart and she likes to share that <laughs> smartness, which is good for us. So she talks about carbs, nutrition, uh, nutrient timing, things like this that can be very important and helpful for, you know, as an athlete. I had a, a former client. She described me. I had posted a deadlift video, I think, and she said, I think I had my hair in like a bun and she was like, you just look like a ballerina walking up to the bar. And then all of a sudden you just pick up all this weight and it's just so cool. (laughs) That's probably one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. That's a cute one. (laughs) I would say one of my favorites that I forgot to mention, even though I did say everybody who I've interviewed is Island Randy. So Randy, um, Randy is somebody who, um, is very competitive, right? She's competed at the Kern. She actually just talked about, Benchy, she never thought she would be able to bench raw 300 and she benched 319 for a triple the other day and it was just exciting as shit. Um, But she's very honest with her path and where she's going because she's struggled a lot um, with her confidence. Um, She's now a business owner and now she coaches people on business um, and owning who they are. And um, just as a perfect fact, she just talked about how she's going to retire. Next year will be her last year. She just feels like it's just been, it's, it's been it's her time to kind of retire really out of competitive powerlifting. And she's honest about that. And that's hard when your identity, a lot of your identity is wrapped around that. You know, she started off and people know her as powerlifting and people she coaches in business, a lot of them are powerlifters. So I think that somebody like her, who is truthful about the things that she really is sucking on, or it's really difficult for her. Those are things that I see. And I'm like, thank you. Okay. That makes me feel good about X, Y, and Z. And, um, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're doing well and they're owning life and nobody's ever going to have like a perfect easygoing life. Um, so that's one of my favorites out there. Andy, big shout out there. You got anybody else? Hmm. I could probably name a ton of people, but like I said, my four that I probably look up to the most. Um, I, I just, I really appreciate people who have more going on than just lifting. I agree. Um, like a sponsored lifter who doesn't really have to work or, 
you know, they can just really focus on powerlifting and, and so they're successful, of course, but the people who are still successful in spite of everything else they have going on, I think that's just kind of the biggest I agree. inspiration to me. I like the ones that talk about it too. Like I, I got a lot of shit going on, but I don't talk about it all the time. You know, I just, mm-hmm. so it, I, I do think it's wonderful when people like Randy and even Amanda, you know, they do talk about their struggles and I just don't take that time to put everything out. So I can appreciate when somebody does that, you know? And so those mm-hmm. pages for me, I'm like, Oh, I can, I can pull more out of that. I appreciate that you're um, sharing that because that does take time to do that. And it's relatable too. And you, yeah. I mean, most of the people who are power getting into powerlifting, they don't, they're not sponsored. They have to work. They have yep. to do what they're in school, whatever. So it's hard to like, look at somebody who doesn't have to do anything else with their life except lift and yeah. be like, okay, I'm going to be like that because you're like, well, I can't, I have school. So yeah, I, I think seeing people be successful when they are still doing everything else is it's really inspirational for like the average person. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It is relatable. All right. So moving on to Miss Alyssa Parton. Alyssa asked, programming for a hybrid athlete, how would you go about some, for someone who has multiple competitive interests like powerlifting and weightlifting or CrossFit? And I thought this was so perfect because both of us have been athletes in different in different realms. Um, and I go about it a certain way. Why don't, why don't you start us off? So I was going to say... Um... Well, I have clients who do a lot of different things that are, that are truly different. Like they're not even both strength sports, maybe like bodybuilding and powerlifting. It's mostly comes down to nutrition and like what phase of training you're in when your competition comes around. Um, but the, the goals are very similar in outside of that. So, um, but I have some clients who compete in like tactical strength competitions and they do powerlifting. And one of them wants to be, she wants to run a half marathon and like, it's cool. And she can, yeah. um, it just takes more careful planning and really it's kind of like you put things on the back burner and you take them off and you exactly. have to know when to do it and how, um, to balance all of them at the same time. So I was going to say that your planning and your periodization is the most important thing when it comes to trying to balance multiple goals. There are some that you can work towards at the same time. So let's say, bodybuilding and powerlifting, I kind of said, those are the easiest two to put together and they really are. So let's say you do a powerlifting competition four, eight weeks out from your bodybuilding show. That's not really hard to plan for if you know what you're doing. Um, because the bodybuilding part looking a certain way all comes down to how you've been eating, how, what, what your conditioning looks like yep. in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, that's enough time to take something that was pretty close and make it like really good. Right. So I've done that several times. I've done a show on my way to a meet or my, a meet on my way to a show. And, you know, and my coach is very good. He does both. And that's one of the reasons I chose him, but I learned a lot from doing that and what worked, what didn't work, what's reasonable to expect from somebody to be able to keep up with, because that's, that's important. If you can't mm-hmm. stick to it, like it's just, it's too much. Or if you get burnt out on the way, because you're trying to do too many things at once and you didn't really get where you were going. So yeah. I said the biggest thing, you got to know your athlete, your client and what they can handle versus what they think they can handle. Because yeah. sometimes people don't really realize what they're signing up for. If that right. makes sense. Like yeah. they're like, this seems reasonable. It's all lifting, yeah. but really like it's so different and it's something's going to take a lot more time than they're used to, or it's going to take a lot more, um, precision maybe with their nutrition than they're expecting. Right. Um, 
And so if they get in over their head, they're just going to get frustrated. So it's, I think breaking it down into tiny pieces, um, maybe building on that. So let's say, okay, if you can track your macros within five grams for four weeks straight, we can think about doing bodybuilding because if you can't do that, it's not, this isn't a good time. Let's work on that first. We'll put the bodybuilding show on the back burner. We'll get there, but like, we've got to get precise. And for most powerlifters, you don't have to be that accurate all the time because it's not that it doesn't matter. Um, as long as you're doing pretty good with your nutrition, you're probably going to perform okay for powerlifting. So when you get into bodybuilding, I think that's the biggest change that most powerlifters are going to have to make. If their training was good to begin with, then they're already going to have most of the muscle they need. They might need conditioning. I might, but they're, you know, the, the foundation is set. Um, now if you want to do like my, friend who maybe wants to do a powerlifting competition and a weightlifting competition, that's a little harder. Um, yes, the muscles there and a lot of the movement patterns are kind of similar, but they're also so, so different. Yes. Um, there's so much technique that goes into weightlifting that doesn't look anything like powerlifting. One of them's fast. One of them's slow. One's a power sport. One's just purely a strength sport. Um, so that one you could definitely still do it. You would have to be one, make sure you are qualified as a coach to handle both of those goals. And if you're not, if you're not find someone who is, who you can work with. I've done this before. Like I don't coach weightlifting. I get the basics of it, but if somebody wanted to compete in it, that's, I'm not qualified enough to do that. I'm not even going to pretend like I am. And I have people that I know that are. And so I'm going to say, okay, I have this athlete, this is their goal. Let's say they're doing a super total meet because I've got a couple that do that. Um, I need you to work with me on this weightlifting portion of their program. Like what can we do to put this together and make sure they get to where they're going? Like you gotta be unafraid to ask for help. I think that's a big part to know when you really aren't qualified and when you need to seek outside help on something. Yeah, I agree. I think that that if uh, let's say all things being equal, you know how to program for weightlifting, you know how to program for powerlifting, and you know how I'm, I'm not sure if Alyssa does or doesn't. Um, but just in general, like if you know all three, you know how to peak them. I mean, you know how to do all that kind of stuff. I would say that uh, outside of bodybuilding and maybe weightlifting and bodybuilding and powerlifting together, um, there they they should decide. Uh, and block it, like you said. So we're, we're ta- I don't think that you couldn't have somebody optimally perform awesome in weightlifting and then maybe four weeks later compete in powerlifting. They're both going to have different peaking cycles. You know, they're both training is going to be different. And you're going to really accumulate a lot of fatigue if you're trying to do both at the same time and try to do them and compete around the same time. I don't program for for weightlifting, so I'm assuming that there are, you know, in all programming, you're going to have some basics that are all overlapping and kind of the same. Um, so I would think that it wouldn't be a good idea to do them very close to each other. So if they do have those interests, you know, let's let them let them do it. I think, you know, in the end, it's all a hobby for everybody, and we're all trying to have fun and enjoy different parts. Like I want to do a I want to do a, a mud run. That is not powerlifters don't do stuff like that. <laughs> but I want to do it with my members at the gym and I want to have fun and and try those things out. And I might have to change my programming a little bit for that. Um, so I, I do decide though, I'm going to decide to not do it around the time that I have to compete. So I think knowing and understanding, like you said, you know, if you need to ask for help for, with somebody who maybe is, you know, weightlifting coach and how to make that work together, but allowing them to to have fun and 
see how you can balance it out. And it might just take them having to, you know, put one at one time of their calendar, one on another. And if they are trying to balance, you know, uh, bodybuilding and powerlifting, knowing that they, they probably need to be really close to stage weight, you know, because if they're trying to, let's say, do a powerlifting meet and then they're trying to cut, you know, they're four weeks out from a show, you're going to be in a deficit somehow, whether it's your, you know, normally it's your calories and it's something else like carbs. If you're in a deficit, it's not, it's going to be very hard for you to perform your best at your meet. So um, I guess those are all the considerations that I would say and you would say um, if you are going to be balancing that out. I think there's... Um, two things based on what you said. So I said, make sure that they know what they're getting into. And I think that goes with it. Like you have to know that there is a chance that you might not be able to be your absolute best at one of those two things Now you can, and it, you know, and it sometimes will work out that way, but you might not be. Yeah. Um, if you are more elite, I think it's easier to do more things. Yes. I think like the big, it's hard for a beginner, but I think if the more elite you get, it actually becomes a little easier because you stay at a higher level of fitness all the time. Right. Um, you probably learn the program. You probably know the motions really well. You know, the exercises, those things are ingrained. You don't need to really build those things. I was going to say though, for weightlifting and powerlifting, and this is some things that I've kind of learned in my, I've had a couple of athletes do super total meets. And so in working with the weightlifting, um, coaches and kind of learning more about it. So the actual, lifts that they compete do not have an eccentric component. You just drop the bar. And so training those, it's technically hard. Like the technique is difficult and and that kind of thing, but it's not as fatigue inducing as say like powerlifting training is because you have an eccentric portion. So just adding those things into a training session is not really an issue in terms of fatigue. Now, is that going to be enough for you to perform well? Probably not. So what I've done in the past is I have taken, um, I, I collaborated, like I mentioned with the weightlifting coach and it's easy to add in clean and jerk or snatch or some derivative of those movements into the workout. But where we really collaborated was on deciding which accessories were the most important for that person for both, um, disciplines. And so, that's where you really, I think, need to spend the most of your time if you're trying to, to do two goals. Like for if you want to do powerlifting and bodybuilding, okay, so squats work for both, bench works for both, you know, deadlifts work for both. But then after that, where do we get nitpicky and we say, okay, if I'm only doing squat singles and then maybe some back off work because I've got this powerlifting meet, what can I do with my accessories that is going to make up the difference? Cause I still need that hypertrophy and that conditioning if I'm going to do bodybuilding yep. and yes, in the taper for the powerlifting meet, you're going to pull some of that stuff out and that one week isn't going to make a difference. But if you don't do it the entire powerlifting meat prep, then you're in trouble. So that's kind of, you got to know what, um, what has to be a priority, what can take the back burner, what doesn't really matter. And it's kind of, I don't want to say filler. That's a sounds like you never need it, but yeah. <laughs> What's like not that high of a priority that you can pull out and it's going to be okay and you can put it back in later and that's probably enough time. So just prioritizing and planning is your biggest for any of those. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Know what overlaps and what doesn't. (laughs) Right, right. Agree. I love that. That was great. All right. So moving on to my homie, y'all. Mr. Les Keys. I love that he put this. So last episode with uh, Christina and I, I was joking that Les, 
he said, what y'all doing? Or how do y'all, you know, program? Or it was a question that said y'all. And I always laugh because I'm like, you know where he's from when he says y'all. But I swear I say it all the time. So now it's like I'm already on my way to be an Alabamian. Alabamian? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll figure that one out later. Um, so let's ask, what's your guys, not y'all, uh, what's uh, your guys' approach to coaching lifters under the pressure of extreme life stressors, both in and out of prep quote unquote extreme being relative to the person. And I like this one because um I think it 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 does begin with um you know really thinking what kind of coach are you? Are you be a, are you gonna be a coach who's gonna help them with those stressors? Or are you just a coach who's just gonna program? I mean I you might have your own shit going on that you're like, listen, I'm not there to like help you deal with your issues. Um I would hope that that's not the case. That I think many of us really care about the people that we coach and that's why we get into things like this because it is a teaching, it is a sport where we want to help people improve and part of that is uh looking at their own life, you know, work, family, all those things uh dictate how well they're going to do in the sport. Um and if you really care about them, you want to help them in, in this area, um, which you do. And we can see that less because, you know, you probably do have people have a lot of stressors. Um, so I guess for me, I like to, of course, have sort of conversations with them and just be a, an ear, you know, listening to what's going on. Um, I might not be able to always help them with the problem that they have. Um, however, there are there are some things out there, and this is a book that um, that Devin has read, and we've talked about it before, but it's a book called Loving What Is. It's by Byron Katie, and um, I think it's Byron Katie. I, anyways, the book really talks about um, how you can evaluate that stress. So it's more like a guideline that can help your athlete uh, have tools in the moment to see how they're going to react to what stressors is going on. And um, it it's about reframing what triggers you, not to use that word so lightly because I hate that word trigger, but it's about reframing how you react to these life stressors. And this might be really deep into whatever is going on, but sometimes I feel like we need that um, because your reaction to what's going on can dictate a lot of things. And that's, I think, the hardest part of growing and um, not letting things get to you, as I like to say. I, I let things get to me a lot. And I've, over the years, had to learn how to, uh, like, just right now, you know, like, I would let little things with my family and my kids, you know, just like, oh, it's always the same thing. You know, like, they're always bugging me for those things. Why, why can't they go to their father? And um I've had to learn how to just let that go. Uh, but it, it's easier said than done than just saying, let that go. Um, so it, what's interesting is this book gives you four ways to go about it. So it asks you, let's say you're upset with your spouse. Um, you're pissed off because they, uh, you know, didn't listen to what they, you said, and you guys got into an argument and you, you think that they're upset with you. So the first step would be like, you know, asking is what oh, I'm upset about. Is that the truth? Are they really upset with me or is what's going on really the truth? And so it's taking these steps. They have four steps and you can read the book to read more about it. There's actually an app for it. Um, there's a lot of things, resources that you can use to kind of better understand that. However, um, I guess for me, it's it's helping 
my members, because I have a member right now who's going through, you know, I have three of them that are going through a divorce, um, you know, going through divorces, uh, moving out, um, working with kids and like, you know, their um, uh, custody and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of that for me is being there for them and helping them in that area and seeing if they can reframe what they, what, how they think of things. And that might not always happen with every member you have. So um, I guess knowing your level of a relationship with them because they might not even want to hear that from you. I mean, nobody wants to hear like, Hey, it's not about what's happening to you. It's about how you react to it. You know, it's not a really like fun thing or a fun conversation. It doesn't seem to help things, but it really does. Um, but those are some things that I like to do as far as, you know, being close to the athlete. I know that Les is probably very close to all his athletes. Um, and so he's probably already there as far as being empathetic and knowing that he is, you know, helpful in that way. Uh, what about you, Christina? What are some things that you have done? So I think I approach it from a similar standpoint, but not at the same time. Like I think it's important to support, to make sure that they know that you support them, um, that you don't feel like they're just making excuses unless they really are, which sometimes maybe they are, but yeah. <laughs> if there truly is some kind of stress, you know, something's going on that they feel that you support them and that they can talk to you. And not, I don't even mean about their problems, just that they can say, Hey, I'm overwhelmed or Hey, I'm overloaded right now. Like I can't keep up. Um, or I feel terrible in the gym because of this other thing. And it has nothing to do with my actual lifting, but now my lifting is suffering. Um, and if you don't, have that information I talked about earlier with the communication, then you as the coach don't know. And if your athlete is injured because they were too stressed out and it was all accumulating, then, I mean, you didn't do your job in my opinion. Like if you kept pushing someone into that when you should have been making adjustments, then it's on you that they got hurt. Um, maybe not, maybe they did it to themselves, but most of the time you could have done your part to, dial back the stress because stress is cumulative, whether it comes from training, cause that's stress that we're putting on our body or it comes from a relationship or school or work or kids or whatever yeah. it might be. It is all cumulative. And if you've got somebody who's in a high stress situation or period of their life and they aren't dealing with it well, and you're just piling training on them because maybe now they're not progressing like you'd like. And instead of saying, Hey, maybe we should take a step back, yeah. you push them harder yep. and now they're injured. And now they're, you know, now they're out completely. Now they've got an extra source of stress because they're injured on top of everything else they're already worried about. So I think remembering that stress is cumulative, no matter where it comes from, even good stress. I mean, that's still stress. Yeah. Your body, it, it's good. It's a good thing that's happening, but it, it's still stress. And I think definitely trying to do your best to give them the tools to handle stress and to manage it. Um, but like, I'm not a stress management specialist, right? In you know, like right. I understand how it affects training, how it affects, and maybe it's a situation I can help in. Like maybe it's something I have experienced and I've experienced myself. Maybe I can say something helpful, but so many times, I mean, divorce or so, I, I've never been divorced. I don't know what to tell them. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't even know that getting personally involved, unless you are a friend to that person, you know, right. like can do all that much for them. But if you show them that you support them, that you are hearing them, you know, that you understand that they are having a hard time and that you care. Yeah. 
and that you're doing what you can on your end to help them manage that. I think that goes a long way. Right. Um, and then yeah, again, I think there's like, a line too, right? You know, like you, yeah. there is a line that I, I think it's because I know less and he's probably very close to all his athletes. So in my mind, yes. I know that he is past that, right? So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not where, oh, you're just my athlete. I think a lot of his people are his friends as well. So I could see that wanting to be more involved, wanting to grow maybe as a coach and help them in that area. Um, but yeah, I think there's a line. You got to know where your line is with that person too, where you, okay, I, I probably shouldn't be giving you any guidance in this area. I'm gonna say, so if, if you're friends with someone first and in Les's case, he was friends with a lot of people first. I have some people I was friends with before I started coaching them. Um, but I also have a lot of people that I am a friend to them now, but it's because I'm their coach, if that makes sense. So I yeah. think you kind of have to feel those situations out individually. Yeah. Um, and then I was going to say, stress affects everyone differently. Some people training might be their relief from their stress. And for some people, it may be adding stress to feel like they have to get to training on top of everything else. And so I think in those situations, you really have to read the situation as best you can. And maybe you have to take out a training day. Like maybe you have to drastically reduce their volume and know like on paper, it's not the best thing, but if it gets them through that rough spot, and out on the other side with no injury and they've maintained their muscle mass and they, then you really, you did the best thing for them because yeah. they didn't get burnt out. Yep. They still love lifting. They're going to come out on the other side in a good spot. They're not injured now on top of everything else. And so you just have to step back and look at the big picture sometimes and realize that what it takes to maintain muscle mass and strength is not the same as what it takes to, um, bring it on. It takes less to maintain than it does to create progress. And so sometimes you really can't afford to just say, you know what, let's do three training days. Yeah. Let's only do three. Let's not do five for, for four weeks. Let's like, let's you get through this, whatever it is, whether it's exams or something at work or divorce or whatever, like, let's get through this. And when it's over, you know, we'll, we'll get busy again. We'll get back down to business. So, yeah, I I think that's great. I think that like, for me, uh, I'm not as involved as my husband is because he likes it. Right. So like a lot of his um, his his interests uh, is in the psychological aspect and fitness is the way that he uses that to help people grow. And so his, uh, you know, less if you or anybody else, actually, if you are interested in how to um, maybe tackle the mindset portion of athletes more in depth. My husband is a huge resource for that. He really enjoys it. What what makes people tick? How can we, um, you know, help them change their motivations or improve their motivations or have really real expectations of what can happen during things? Um, he dives deep into that. And I, I can appreciate all of that because it's like it's, it can be man, it can be deep. That hole can go deep, you know, because there's so many areas that, you know, you can go in as a mental aspect. But I do think that as a coach, if you want to grow in that area, there's a lot of room and you can help people in different ways. Some of the best coaches around are, you know, are not because they were best lifters. I mean, look at all our, you know, some amazing coaches in football. They all are able to connect and help their athletes, you know, and that's one of the biggest things that helps the team get better. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that there's, um, those are our areas that I would say are, uh, what we would do to help stressors in life. And that book was called loving what is, and it has like, it's a typical psychological book where it has a lady in the front and she's like her hands on her face like this. And it's kind of funny when I look at it. Um, but you know, it's helpful. Um, so moving on to Courtney for life, what would you consider an ideal timeline for a meat prep? 
of the athlete's experience with the meet and how much longer for someone going into their first meet? Of course, the answer is it depends, but <laughs> appro- right, dude, but approximate or ideal timelines. Why don't you go ahead and you start like what you think, Christina? I was going to say same thing I said with the other question about beginners. It depends on how much of a beginner you really are. Right. Um, is this your first time training powerlifting specifically, but you do already know how to squat bench and deadlift. Okay. Give me 12 weeks. We're like, we're good. Yeah. Will it be the most amazing meet you're going to have the rest of your life? No, but you're just trying to get your feet wet. So right. if you know the rules, you can, you know, you can safely do all three lifts. There's no reason we can't jump straight into a meat prep. If you are truly a beginner, you want to get into powerlifting, but you don't know lifting yet, you're going to need longer. I'm going to say, hmm, I'm going to say three to six months, give yourself three to six months, depending on how prepared you really want to feel. You could do it in three months, especially if you're really committed, but I think you'll still get on the platform feeling a little unsure. But if I think you take six, I think you'll, I mean, you'll be perfect. You'd be good to go. Yeah. Um, yes, you're still a beginner, but you at least are going to have a good foundation at that point. I think you're going to feel pretty good about what you're doing. Um, you might still be more experienced than a couple of the people you meet. I mean, there's a lot of people that get straight in and go do a meet and that's it. Like they yeah. don't even start getting ready for it. So no. <laughs> I would say three to six months for a true, true beginner, 12 weeks. If you have been lifting, you know, squat bench and deadlift, but maybe you've never done powerlifting. And then if you are a more experienced lifter, if you train year round for powerlifting, even if it, you know, kind of has its ebbs and flows, it maybe you train for other goals in there too. Um, I'm going to say eight to 12, depending on how close your regular training is to what you need for a meat prep. Yeah. So if you always do nothing but powerlifting, I mean, eight weeks is long enough because whatever you come out of, it's going to be equivalent to, you know, part yep. of your training. Yeah. But if you do weightlifting and you need, and you want to do a powerlifting meet, then you're going to need probably eight or 12, like closer to the longer end of that range would probably be better yeah. for you. Yeah. And I, I think of course it depends on your, on your programming, um, where you're at of, you know, in your programming. So for example, I couldn't do, I could do 12 weeks from now, but it would not be ideal. I would not get my same lifts because I have been in more of a hypertrophy block for the last, you know, I don't even know how long it's been up and down. I almost, I've done different, uh, programming. So it's definitely not towards building strength directly. It's, it's hypertrophy. So I'm building muscle. I'm actually laying off the bar a lot. Um, but I've been training long enough where I can lay off the bar and that's not a problem. But if I were to try to say like, Hey, let me compete in February, I would not hit my, my same numbers. So understanding that I need to go through a strength block. Um, I need to go through an an actual powerlifting, (laughs) uh, block before. Um, and then also saying that meat prep, Meat prep does not necessarily, I guess, let me see how I can phrase this. I always think of meat prep as the actual preparatory days leading into the meat. So that might vary from like anywhere from 50 to 30 days before the meat. That's what I consider a meat prep because that is the days leading into the uh, competition or the meat. Your other days outside of that is building your strength and building strength takes time. People think like, oh, I can just do like, you know, 12 weeks and and that should be fine. Yeah, you can. You most definitely can. Like you said, you can get into it. Is it going to be the best? Probably not. If you can give yourself a good six months, I don't care if you're a beginner or 
uh, a uh, advance, if you give yourself six months of solid preparing, I think that uh, you would have some amazing numbers. And I think that people always try to cut it close, you know, and I think that if you can give yourself more time not competing, um, that you can build a good amount in strength. So for me, I like to see people do at least at least three mesocycles uh, or two mesocycles. So, and for me, that's six, that's at least 12 weeks. Um, and then a, a, anywhere from a 40 to a 50 day prep into the actual meat. So um, for me, that could be anywhere from 12 to 14 weeks, I would say is a good amount of, um, of time to get under the bar, get some movement. Um, and unless you've been keeping up your strength the whole time, like I would not feel confident, you know, like, like I said now, like my strength is not, uh, it's, we're getting back up. But if you were to ask me last month to try to pull a maximal, I couldn't do it. There's no way, you know, because I was, and that's how it works. You don't keep the strength you have all the time. So I am not, you know, squatting and deadlifting and benching what I did at my last meet because that was all accumulated into that meet. Um, so right now it's kind of phased out and we're going to phase it back in and phase out. So I would say that for me, it would be anywhere from 12 to 14 weeks, ideally even 18 weeks. If I could have somebody that's like, I'll just keep training until you say it's a good time frame, you know? And then, so, um, I think if we, at least for me, the way I program, cause I program, you know, like fifth set style. So it's a lot of, uh, it's six week blocks and the, the fatigue does accumulate within that, uh, 18 weeks, we would have to peak somebody just because the fatigue would be so high. Um, and we would need to fatigue and then bring back down. Um, so it kind of just depends on your programming too, but yeah, I would say that that is, um, that would be a, a good amount for me. I have somebody who I just trained and she was like, I want to do that. Me. And I was like, let's do it girl. And she was doing CrossFit before. And you know, and sometimes that's what it is. It's just getting your feet wet, like you said, and it's, it's something to be, have fun. And they might not think of it as so serious as we do, you know, like in my mind, I'm like, we're going to get maximal amount of strength and this and this. But a lot of times people just want to do it. You know, they just want to have fun with it. Um, you see their potential, but they might not have no clue. So they're, you know, you know that they would be better if they would have waited eight more weeks, but that might not necessarily be what they want to do. They want to get in and they want to compete, you know? So that's something to consider. As she said, it depends. And it really does. It depends on the type of athlete, the goals of the athlete, We've said training history, but I mean, it does it. If they come out of another strength sport, it's going to be a whole lot easier to transition versus someone who doesn't know. Are they an athlete by nature? Like, did they grow up in a sport or is this yeah. the first time they're ever going to compete in anything? Like, yeah. it's just very, it depends on a lot. And like you mentioned, it depends on what your training looks like the rest of the time. If yeah. you're not a brand new lifter. So I keep in, not I, uh, my coach keeps in for me, um, more, heavy work now that I've been doing this for longer. So like I always have singles, doubles, whatever. Now, do I back off to eights after a single? Yes. Like I'm still in a certain phase, but it would be easier for me to turn around and go straight into a, a 12 or eight to 12 week meat prep than it might be for someone who, when they take their off season and I'm making quotes with my fingers, I realize nobody can see me. Um, <laughs> if they take like their off season, they truly take off and they don't yeah. touch a bar. Like you can't just go from that to, nope. um, prepping for a meet again and expect to do your best. And there should be, there should be general prep work. Like there's gotta be that time where you get out of strictly doing the sagittal plane three movements and you do other things. If you really want to be the best, most well-rounded athlete and continue to progress long-term injury free. And so it, it really comes back to 
the big spectrum of planning everything out. Beginners need more of the general, more yeah. elite athletes need less of the general. It's still there, yep. but it's not their main focus anymore. It's like an addition to their training versus being the main meat of their training. And so that all of that makes a difference in how long somebody really needs to be the best. So, right. Right. Yeah. And like, for me, I've been laying off the the straight bar because it's been something that's a trigger for my hips, you know? So it's a lot of safety squat bar, a lot of uh, cambered bar, other bars, just a bunch of other, <laughs> other bars in there. Um, but you know, that, that means that I'm going to be throwing that bar back on as I, you know, this, this coming year, that's what's going to happen. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to be doing the show in April with the show, the meet, see what happens when we go back and forth in bodybuilding. <laughs> We're going to step on stage. I mean, the platform um, in April. So, you know, my training is going to look a little different for the next, you know, four, three, three and a half months now. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, I would say that for me, it's about that time frame, And those are the considerations you would have. And that, that just, it's up to you, you know, in that moment, you're going to have to make that decision. What's, what's going to be best. And plus, you know, now I look more into um, what they want. Like, yeah, they really do want to compete. Well, if they really do want to compete, then the conversation needs to be managing your expectations. Yep. You know, if you really want to compete, then let's be real. I, I'm down for you to do what you want to do, but let's be real. You just started. You just learned how to squat three months ago. Um, so just know that, yeah, you may uh, be in this weight class and you see other women in this weight class lifting that much, but know that you will not probably have numbers <laughs> like that in that weight class, you know? So um, th that that would be the next next area for me if I'm like, yeah, let's do it. But let's know that that's not, probably not going to be the best that you're going to perform. All right. So moving on to our last question from our friend, um, our mutual our mutual homie, uh, Miss Nicole Meets the – actually, it's Nicole Meets World, but it's Nicole Yost, one of our friends out here. Um, what are – the best strategies for someone who has reached the quote unquote burnout point, mainly due to stressors other than powerlifting. This is like a, a synonymous theme we have going on here is taking an extended break from a structured program likely to pull them from that platform forever. Or can it be mentally healthy, a mentally healthy thing to pull away from lifting until other stressors are in check? So what would you say, Christina? This one is one of those where it's hard to give one answer because it depends so much. And I'm going to say yes and no to yes. that question. I yeah. mean, if you take a break, it's not a bad thing, but the longer you're out, the harder it is to come back, not yeah. physically, mentally, physically, like your body holds on to things a lot longer than you think. And yet it's going to feel awkward when you come back and it's going to take some relearning, but it remembers things and you're going to, you're not going to lose muscle mass overnight. You know, it's yep. a process. It, it takes a while before it even starts happening. And if you're doing some kind of training, then you're probably holding on to it decently. So yes, it's going to be hard to come back. No, it's not impossible. What I think is important is you cannot let the amount of time you've been out deter you from making a comeback. Like you just have to go in knowing, okay, I took six months off. It's going to be hard to come back, Yeah, but I can do it. Like don't make excuses for yourself in that phase and just quit again because it was kind of hard. Like you got to know, like, well, I did this. Like I took six months off. Yeah, It's not going to be easy to come back, but I can, I've done it before or whatever. But I think from the, the beginning of the question, how to avoid it um, or getting to that point I 
do my best. And this is another one of those, it depends things. I like to give athletes some kind of, um, autonomy in their training Mm -hmm. and you can't do it as much with a beginner because they don't know what to do. You can't be like, just pick your own accessories. I mean, like that's what they're paying you for, but I can maybe say for my more experienced athletes, especially those who are coaches themselves, maybe um, because they have a better idea of what good exercises are. I can maybe say, okay, I need you to do four sets of 12 to 15 reps of a shoulder isolation. You pick what it is or something like that, you know, so that they, they're still getting to make some decision decisions in their training. I think it gives them a sense of ownership of it. um, If they're ready for that. But also, like, I'm still directing them, like, okay, our shoulder isolation goes here. Whether or not you do lateral raises or, I don't know, some crazy thing you come up with yeah. is totally up to you. But, like, the work is getting done, and I'm still monitoring, like, how we're we're progressing. And I'm accounting for that in our um, overall plan. And then I think from a coaching perspective, like, more on the psychological side, of kind of reading your athletes and knowing what their situation is. So if you have somebody and Nicole is one of these people and I have a couple of other ones, they're, they're an artist at heart, you know, like they're artsy and they're creative and they're very free spirited. And if you pin them down to one thing, they're going to, they're going to get frustrated. And so I think you have to know that about your client, like how, um, their brain works kind of mm-hmm. because I'm the opposite. Like give me structure, give me a solid plan for sick. Like I'm happy. I want to do the yes. same thing. Yes. Um, so, funny. so you've got to read that. You got to know who needs more variation and more of that kind of stuff, but you also have to know what their home situation is like. So let's say me and Matt, Matt lifts too. Like there's a lot of powerlifting in this house yeah. or this apartment, whatever. Um, <laughs> and we direct meets and I coach and like, I'm just totally immersed in it all the time. Yeah. And so that's a lot of powerlifting all the time. Somebody that goes home and their husband is also a powerlifter. They're immersed in it all the time. Somebody that goes home and their husband works for an office job and doesn't care about lifting, but supports you, you know, they support that you do it, but they could care less about doing it for themselves. They're not involved in it in that way. When you go home, you get a break. Yeah. And so it's different. It's different. Like how much you're immersed into a sport. And I think knowing that about your clients kind of gives you an edge on how to best try and coach them. Um, Like if I have somebody who is all powerlifting all the time, because that's what's at home, that's what's at their job, that's what's whatever, then as a coach, I'm going to try and back off in that aspect. Like I'm still going to coach them. I'm still going to write them a good program and give them good technique cues, but I'm going to kind of try and come from the perspective of it's okay for you to kind of not be all powerlifting all the time. Like it's okay for you to take a break. It's okay for you to want to try something new versus somebody who has the opposite of that at home. I might have to be more of the enforcer with them. Like, okay, you can't just take a day off anytime you feel like it. Like we got to actually do the plan here. (laughs) Um, So I think you have to kind of like, you have to know who really needs the break and who needs to understand how to, commit to something and like truly follow the plan. And you, it's, it's a hard balance and it's hard to know exactly what each person needs. And it's not the same for the same client all the time. Yeah. And yeah. that's important to remember too. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. And then I'm, I'm trying to think like as coming from, you know, coming from an athlete who's felt overwhelmed um, and have gone through this and I've, I've taken breaks. I think I've taken breaks away from the structure. 
So mm-hmm. not necessarily the gym, um, but the structure of a program. So I will just go in and kind of wing it. But oddly, winging it also causes me to be like, uh, this I need structure. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I need but sometimes you have to not have it to realize yes. you need it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so it's like when I I can't just fucking just do, you know, like then I have to think about it. What did I do? La-? You know, because in my mind I still want to have, you know, make sure I'm hitting all my parts, but because I've written nothing down or I don't have a coach at the moment, um I sort of am like a little stressed in that situation where I, I'm like, okay, I need to have some sort of direction at least. Um, but I, I do feel like if you, let's say you've never taken a break from training, like a real extended break, um, maybe you do need to take it. Maybe you do need to leave in order to know um, what you're missing um, and fall in love with it again. If if you're getting burnt out with it, um, maybe you're taking it too seriously because there are other things that are more important right now. And you're trying to still keep that seriousness and that competitiveness because you are competitive. I know Nicole, she's fucking strong and she's competitive Mm -hmm. and she has goals. And she's that person that will say, you know what? I did great. This is my goal for this year. This is where I see myself going. And so when you have that sort of driven mentality, sometimes it's hard to step back and be like, I'm not going to do this right now. So maybe it is actually taking off. You've never done it. So you kind of don't know, what it's going to be like. I don't, I'm not sure if you, she, she's ever taken off fully in, in her in, in the past. Um, or it just means doing something fun again, maybe still getting back in the gym and doing something fun. Maybe it's bodybuilding or, or just taking classes. Like I was, I took a body attack class yesterday in our 12 hours of workouts. Okay. Body attack. My, my girlfriend who's a power lifter now, um, uh, Rachel, and she used to teach body attack. Right. So I used to take like, uh, kickboxing. And so it reminded me a lot of that where I used to, for my cardio, I used to take my friend's kickboxing, kickboxing class. But I was like, oh my gosh, this was fun. It was hard. Give me, you know, like all this jumping. Okay. I'm not light. <laughs> I'm small, but I'm not light. And all this jumping was killer, but I enjoyed it. And I thought, well, you know, maybe that's something I would, I would add in just to have something different. And that was fun for me. Um, so that might be something that you have to look at. It's like, all right, maybe you can do t- something totally different. I tried, um, roller derby. I went and I was like, you know what? I like, you know, I would like to hit bitches. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go. And I did not hit anybody because I sucked so bad. <laughs> so I just kept falling. Um, but it was fun and it was something I learned. And I only stopped because it was really far away. It's actually like 30 minutes from me. And to get there on a Sunday, at, and it was just difficult for my time to get there. But I did that because I wanted to meet other women in a different sport. I wanted to try something different that I thought I might like learn a different technique. Um, and that, and that helped me realize, and I kind of went back to powerlifting and, and be more focused in that area. So, um, I said, I think you, you have to always think of the big picture, like your whole life, not this one short span yeah. of what it is. And you say, if I take six weeks off, that's not that long. Yeah. And in the big picture of things, and especially if it's going to keep you in the sport or in the activity or whatever it is. And, and then you have to kind of remind yourself to let the pressure off. Like yeah. it's not all about powerlifting all the time. Have other goals and focus on them too. And don't completely immerse yourself into something so much so that you're like, oh, I need a break from it. Like I, I know that if I did nothing but coaching powerlifting all the time and lifting, I'd start to hate it. I know the same thing about gymnastics. If I only coached gymnastics all day long. And that's, it's been offered to me. Like I coach that part-time by my choice. 
um, I chose not to go full time. And I was like, because if I'm here all day, every day, I'm going to start to hate it. It's mm. going to start to feel like a job. I'm not going to want to do it. And so there's a reason I do both of those things at the same time, instead of just picking one, it's because if I, if I were to only coach powerlifting, I'd quit in three years. I'd be like, I'm done. I'm tired. I did too much too fast. Or if I stuck with just gymnastics, I would quit. I would leave the whole sport yeah. behind me, you know, in three years from now and never look back. And I don't want to do that. I want to stay involved. So you have to kind of make sure that you take the pressure off yourself a little bit and give yourself space to do something else and be interested in something else and be something else. Yeah. It's hard when you have like money stressors, you know, because I've gone opening up the gym, um, moving to Alabama, buying the house. We went through so many huge um, life altering episodes. Let me tell you that it were, we were, um, our savings went down the tank, you know, things we did not expect. Um, and now looking back, you know, I can say, well, well, you know what, we got out of it and it passed. Mm -hmm. And I probably could have been less stressed knowing that, you know, and I think it comes with experience, but it's like knowing that this day will just pass and things will be okay. And, um, you know, as long as it's not something really huge, like people dying and things like that, um, how you manage that stress can dictate a lot on how you feel about your activities mm -hmm. and how you encounter life. Um, but no, I don't think, you know, I think you have to take it as it is. And I don't think you have to ask yourself why, um, what is going to be the worst thing of you taking off? You know, if you're, you need to look at the long term, like you said, six weeks is just six weeks. It's not that bad of a deal. So maybe it's something you need and you can refocus on other things and you'll find that love again. I say for Nicole, she did take off before I ever started coaching her. She took an extended break and she came back and she came back stronger. I mean, she hit some of her best numbers ever. So she can be an example to herself and to other people. Yeah. You can take a break and you can come back and still get better. It's yeah. not the end if you take a break. So yeah. yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. And we had so many stinking questions, guys. Christy and I were talking about like, wow, we had uh, so many questions that we wanted to get to. Um, and so what we did was, you know, we kind of just went through ones that were all similar in topic. And we're going to answer the next ones uh, that you all answered and our next Q&A. And we'll get into those a little bit more. But if you have any more questions, when you see the golden mic on uh, the Facebook and Instagram page, Ask your questions, ask away, and we will answer them on here. And if you have something we can't answer, we will do our best to not answer that. So, <laughs> <But> <laughs> Thank you, Christina, so much. And um, I will uh, tag you in everything that we have. And, of course, Christina is a coach. She is an online coach and an in-person coach. So if you are interested in talking to her about online training, you give her a holler. Her information will be in the show notes. <laughs> 